morning, Crosswalk. How are we doing today? Everybody ready for fall? Because it's apparently here. I think yesterday was the last like official day somewhere we transitioned from summer to fall and then the rain's coming so that'll clean the air. We can see Mount Hood again. We're so excited. Uh, it's Portland is one of the only places you can see on social media the first day it really rains after the summer and people get all excited. And they post, look, the rain. And like three weeks later, they're like, look, the rain. And then four months later, they say, dagnabbit, the rain. Uh, But hey, we are glad that you guys are here. Thanks for going with us on this journey of transition. Uh, We're back into two services, different times though, so that's new. So we got to write out these transitions, uh, 10 o'clock, 11.30. We're trying to create more opportunities for you to connect as well. So you can come to the first service. You can jump into conversations after that in the room across the hall if you want to dive deeper into the sermon series. If you want to create a group that we don't have going yet, you can do that. All sorts of ways to gauge. You've driven out this far wherever you come from. I imagine some of us came from a distance. Um, And so stay around a while um, and we'll just try to make sure you get connected to people. But we are in week two of our series, as Pastor Lydia said, called Unbroken, which is looking at mental health and faith and the stigmas around some of those things. In fact, we learned last weekend that mental health is at the top of the list about what most churches do not talk about. And so we want to be a place where it is okay to talk about the things that are tough and to create spaces where it's okay to be vulnerable. So um, we're going to hit that this week. Next week for the anniversary, we're going to skip the series that particular weekend uh, because of what I'm going to talk about here in just a second. And then the next three weeks, we're going to hit on suicide. Then we're going to hit on depression and anxiety. Um, So super exciting, I know. Um, And then we're going to hit on demon possession and mental health. Um, So, those are the last three weeks of the series, um, just to give you an idea. But before we jump into our teaching today, I want to add my encouragement for you to come next weekend and bring people with you. We've got flyers out on the next step tables for you to take to invite someone uh, with you to what we're calling PDX2, which is celebrating two years of miracles from when we launched and opened our doors to weekly services. We're going to have, as Lydia said, Pastor Tim Gillespie, our teaching pastor for Crosswalk, We'll be here from Redlands. We're going to have Elder Dan Linrood, the uh, president of the Oregon Conference of Seventh-day Adventists here. We're going to sit around a table and talk about what our dreams were two, three years ago, actually, when we dreamed about bringing Crosswalk Portland here and what's happened since and then what is next. So it's going to be a great celebration. I can't wait. We're going to have photo booths. We're going to have new t-shirts and other merch and other things to celebrate and have a good time in addition to the block party. So we hope you'll come out and join us. Every year we will have this celebration. So come out for PDX2. We'll look forward to that. So last week, we began our series with a look at some of the myths that plague mental health and faith. I shared a condensed version of my own story with mental health, having been diagnosed with the general anxiety disorder, and I talked about how though I have received much healing in my life with my mental health care team, that I still walk with a limp, a limp that reminds me of uh, of my need for Jesus and his grace, Um, And it is a limp that reminds me of the scars of Jesus, the scars that were in his resurrected body that we're told will be with him forever. 
even through eternity, even in the place of perfection, that Jesus will have his scars as a reminder of his love for us, as a reminder of what he went through for us, and as a a constant reminder that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, Jesus knows. He's been there. He's been through it, and he knows. And so he can journey with us through other, forever because those scars are with him forever. This week, we're looking at a story in three of the four Gospels, the Gospels we call the Synoptic Gospels because of how closely they are related. It's a story that comes after Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River by his cousin John, uh, but before his official ministry, his public ministry, starts. So in context, Jesus has just had what we would call a mountaintop experience or a spiritual high At his baptism, he heard God's voice affirming who he is and how cherished he is. And most translations say that that voice said, This is my son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. But as often is the case, after a mountaintop experience, there is a valley that happens. This is most clearly seen in the transfiguration story um, because Jesus is on top of a mountain. He gets transfigured. He talks with Moses and Elijah. And the very next verse after that is, and then Jesus came down the mountain. Okay? We all love mountaintop experiences. We would like to have them all the time, but you can't sustain life on top of the mountaintop. Right? Nothing, not much grows on top of the mountaintop. Growth happens in the valley of life. And yes, that is where drama happens, that is where challenges happen, but that is where growth happens. It was the same for Jesus. We're told that immediately after his baptism, Jesus was led into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Now we refer to uh, this as a story of the temptations of Jesus, although I have to be honest that when I started writing the sermon, I actually wrote at the top of the page, Jesus and the temptations. Which didn't sound like the right title. Um, and so it, it changed back to something more appropriate. So after Jesus is affirmed as a son of God, we read from Luke's gospel this. It says, Then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Luke stating the obvious. (laughs) Now there are all sorts of different angles we can come at this story with. All sorts of different things that we could talk about. In fact, I would love to talk about um, the Holy Spirit leading him into the wilderness. Because there's an actual, there's, it's really interesting how the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. The Spirit is with him in the wilderness. And then the very next verse says that he came back in the power of the Spirit, which I think says something about the challenges that we face in life. But for the purpose of this talk, we're going to look at the story from the perspective of how we take care of our spiritual selves that impacts our mental selves. So to begin, we have to remember that Jesus wasn't just the Son of God. He was God. And the most amazing miracle and profound truth of all time is said in John 1.14 when it says, So the Word became human or flesh and made his home among us. The Word became flesh and made his home among us. The Word, or Jesus, left the glory and the perfection of heaven to enter our sin-ridden world. When he did, he chose to take on our humanity, our emotions, our feelings, our struggles. And through the gospel story, we find Jesus experiencing our world as we do, broken. 
He experiences all the emotions that we do. His frustration with the disciples who, no matter what he said, just couldn't seem to figure things out. Or his weeping at the tomb of a friend and grieving with those that were experiencing death. He, uh, in the, uh, he's so anxious in the Garden of Gethsemane that he sweats drops of blood. And in the story of the three t- temptations, we see Jesus struggle physically because he is hungry, he is likely thirsty, and he is likely sleep-deprived. And these things he probably experienced beyond what most humans could endure, at least to the brink of it. Jesus entered fully into our mess and suffered likewise. So when Jesus was at his lowest point, humanly speaking, that's when the devil unleashes his attack. Never underestimate the craftiness of the devil. He knows what he's doing. He knows when it's best to attack and how to attack. He attacked Jesus when he was alone and when he was so physically and mentally shot that it would have been an easy target. But Jesus wasn't alone spiritually, and Jesus had prepared himself for moments like these. And though the temptations weren't easy to resist, as it sometimes comes across, Jesus was able to resist them in a way that we often cannot. So let's look at temptation for a moment. First of all, the devil doesn't tempt us with those things which we're not already prone to be tempted by, right? I mean, it make, it's a temptation because it's something that we're likely to give into. So he knows how to craft those temptations, right? I'll give you an example. Several times in the course of my life, I have had people, friends or former students of mine, that have invited me to go and train to run a half marathon or a full marathon with them. I have never been tempted by this. I have never once said, hmm, boy, that sounds like fun. Right? I am only going to run if I'm chased by something, um, or if the end of it is Chipotle. But um, those are the two. Pro- those two things probably don't go together really well, actually, if you think about it. Um, but it doesn't matter how many times I've been asked; the answer is always no. Or I'll tell them the next time I see them run long distances with a smile on their face, a genuine smile, then I will consider going with them. Because for me. I'd sooner eat a Carolina Reaper pepper dipped in habanero sauce and lit on fire than run. So that's just, that's just how strongly I feel about it. So we have to know that these temptations that were given by the devil to Jesus were ones that he had to be tempted by, something that would seem attractive to him and hard to resist. And as we're told, these temptations took place in the wilderness, The wilderness in Scripture represents two things. It represents a place that we go to encounter God, like when Moses encountered God at the burning bush, and it's also a place where we are tempted, like when the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years because they were being tempted to see who they will worship. The narratives in Matthew, Mark, and Luke differ a little bit on the temptation story. Mark and Luke tell us that the devil was attacked by Jesus the entire time he was in the wilderness, whereas Matthew says the devil attacked towards the end of the 40 days when Jesus was at his weakest. I have a tendency to believe it was a little bit of both, with the most intense times coming when Jesus was actually bottomed out, mentally and physically depleted. The devil loves to kick us when we're down, so when Jesus struggles to lift up his head, when his energy is gone, the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. The first thing the devil questions is Jesus' identity. 
It's almost always the first thing he questions. Now remember, God spoke to Jesus to affirm his identity at his baptism, but now the devil calls it into question. Did it really happen? Was it just a figment of your imagination? Are you really who you think you are, or was it all just a dream? The devil's lies work so well because they get at our deepest fears. They cause us to question ourselves, our gifts, our experiences, and yes, they cause us to question whether or not we are truly children of the living God. Aside from the devil questioning Jesus' identity, it's important to take a moment in the uh, conversation about mental health to look at Jesus' physical state and how it relates to that. When someone comes to see me and says that they're having a hard time mentally, whether it's um, depression, anxiety, or whatever it is, my first two questions are this. Are you eating? Are you sleeping? Those are the first two questions to ask because those have such a huge impact on your mental state. As psychology professor Kenny Boyd cited in the sermon series guide that you can download online, when a person is deprived of food long enough, they become more and more susceptible to taking moral shortcuts. We know it's important to eat. A good diet is a huge aid to our mental health, but it's also watching what we eat, right? It's proven that a more highly processed food and high sugar intake diet have a negative impact on our health, uh, mental health, whereas foods like fruits, vegetables, and legumes, I don't know why I like saying legumes. As I was practicing, I just legumes. It just, it, I, anyway, but these things contribute to a positive mental state. So just as important as food is sleep, which a study that was done by Harvard Medical Institute, which I have to tell you, oh, look, it's already up there. Um, yeah, so I studied at Harvard, um, and I know you may find that hard to believe, but there's a picture of me with that banner. I'm studying there, um, and on the back it says Harvard University. And then the other one, if you can see, it says Harvard Law, so I also studied at Harvard Law. Um, and then the bottom picture is me at MIT. Um, so I studied at all, all three of those places, uh, and I put it on my resume. It's fantastic. So I know of what I'm speaking. Um, <laughs> I tell you this all the time. I tell you this all the time. I'm an idiot. Okay. I had a free day in Boston, and this is what I chose to do with myself. <laughs> oh, it's so weird up here. All right. So I know of what I speak. But Harvard Medical says this. Uh, it says. 50 to 80% of patients in a psychiatric practice suffer from chronic sleep problems versus 10 to 18% of adults in the general population, right? So when you're struggling, you've got to, got to find a way to have a good diet and to get good sleep. The devil was attacking Jesus at his weakest human experience to try to get Jesus to tap into his divinity. If he was successful in getting Jesus to do this, the salvation experiment would have failed because it was Jesus in his humanity that was needed to redeem the world, even though it's Jesus in his divinity that proves his love for us. This is tough for us to wrap our brains around, someone being fully human and fully divine at the same time, but whether it's tough or not, it's what we believe to be true. Jesus could have tapped into his divinity, not just here, but at any point in his journey as a human on this earth. But perhaps this was one of the most difficult of temptations in the wilderness, only to be followed by his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. I mean, when those at the foot of the cross yelled insults at Jesus, um, oh wait, 
I almost skipped one. I'll come back to that in just a second. Um, it, the, the idea that Jesus could tap into his divinity at any point in time is actually why I disagree with the following verse just a little bit. This is from Hebrews where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. I actually think Jesus was tempted way worse than we are. Because Jesus could have at any moment tapped in his divinity and saved himself. So the example is, one of the ones that always gets me is at the foot of the cross, they're yelling at him and they say, he saved others, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we'll believe in him. And Jesus actually could have come down from that cross. And he could have walked up to them and said, got anything else to say? But he didn't. Jesus resisted his divinity to save humanity. He resisted his divinity to save humanity. But Jesus had a way to combat the devil in his, even in his weakened state. After the devil questions Jesus' identity, his past, his experiences, his challenge, and challenges him to tap into his divinity and turn a stone into a piece of bread so he could eat, Jesus responds in a way that we have access as well. Jesus quotes scripture and says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. And then we're also told, it goes on to say, um, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, like most boys in that time, most Hebrews, by the age of 12, would have had the first five books of the Bible called the Torah memorized. They could have recited it backwards and forwards. Now, I'm not saying that's what you need to do. <laughs> but I am saying having, having Scripture in your mind, in your heart, meditating on it day and night, having Scripture that speaks to your temptations, to the things that you struggle with most, is an important way to combat temptation. And it's important to help with our mental health. For example, I am a, worry, a worrier. I worry. Um, right? So if you know Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 6, which is the people that are the worst case scenario people. I'm always thinking about the worst thing that could happen, right? So when I start to worry, when I struggle with my anxiety, I have go-to verses for me that I cling to. Verses like, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? So don't worry about tomorrow. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Or, Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. These are verses that I have locked away in my head so that when I struggle, I can recite them. And I recite them even when I don't believe the words. Sometimes that's the mental game, right? It's like telling yourself what the truth is. And when I feel inadequate, when I feel like I can't do whatever it is I'm being asked to do, I don't have the resources or the knowledge or whatever it is, when I feel lack, I have Psalm 23, 1, ready to go. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. So we combat the lies of the devil with the truths of Scripture, of God's words. Now the next temptation is fascinating because in it we read this. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Here, the devil offers Jesus an easy way out. Instead of going through the horrors of the cross, 
The devil says, look, all you got to do is worship me, bow down to me, and I'll give you everything you want. I'll give you this world. I'll give you your people. Just worship me on one side of it. It says a lot about the importance of worship if the devil was willing to give it all up for Jesus to worship him. But on the flip side, as we talked about last week, as much as we want there to be a quick fix, one pill, one prayer that's going to change everything and fix our mental health, that's not how it works, right? But it's a tough temptation to resist. If you're hurting, a few drinks will take the edge off, right? If you're lonely, a one-night stand will at least help you feel connected to another person, right? If you had a really long day at work or a bad day at work, I mean, a few hours on TikTok will help a little bit, right? But as we know, these quick fixes often come with consequences. And those consequences often involve feeling emptier and worse than we were before and more disconnected because we feel shame. And shame makes us feel like we can't come to God and we can't go to the people that we love. Jesus knew what he had come to this earth to do and as hard as it was going to be, he knew he would rather go through the horror of the cross than bow down and worship anyone else. Because what Jesus was going to go through was going to offer complete healing and restoration and save creation. So Jesus' response to the offer of an easy way out, Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship God, not other things. Put God first, which can be incredibly hard work with so many competing options, but the results are transformational. Then in the final temptation from the devil, we read, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. Then he goes on to tell him um, that if he does that, the angels will take care of him if he is the Son of God. Again, the devil questions Jesus' identity and again tries to get him to use his divinity by misquoting Scripture, taking it out of context. Thankfully, no one does that anymore today. And in a sense, the devil even tries to get Jesus to think about suicide in this moment. We don't often look at this verse that way, but that is one of the options. I mean, wouldn't it just be easier, Jesus? Throw yourself off of here, and if you're the Son of God, the angels will take care of it. If you're not, this will all be over, right? It seems like another quick fix, and surely it must have been tempting to Jesus, otherwise the devil wouldn't have said it. But Jesus responds. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. No matter how hard the devil tried, he couldn't get a foothold into Jesus' psyche. No matter how weakened a state Jesus was in, Jesus had prepared for moments like these by grounding himself in who he was and leaning on the words of life. The story ends with this ominous one-liner that says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came, or other translations say, until a more opportune time, right? Now, I know there were other encounters Jesus had with demonic forces. We'll spend some time on those in a few weeks, but when I read this verse, I often think of the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus would be at the battle of his life. We'll talk about that one too. So until we get there, let's summarize our lessons with four key takeaways. First, uh, we have to eat a good and healthy diet, get good and consistent sleep, and drink lots of water. Water isn't necessarily the one in there, but I always throw that in. 
Water's a good help. I have a, uh, one of my best friends uh, in the world. He pastors down in Corvallis. Uh, ever since we were kids, he'd always be like, drink water, drink water, drink water. You're not feeling good? Drink water. And he would do it like you cut your finger, drink water. Well, that's, that's nice and all. I always felt like if I like, lost my arm, he'd say, you need to drink more water. But it is good to take care of yourself. And yes, you may need the help of a doctor or nutritionist to take this journey, but I promise you it is worth it. These tools go a long way in helping you fight off temptations and journey towards good mental health. Two, never forget who you are, for you are a child of God. The devil will constantly try to convince you that you are nothing, worthless, good for nothing, a nobody, or the flip side, he'll try to make you think you're so amazing and so good you don't need anybody, right? But the truth of the matter is that you are a child of God creating his image to do good works. You are a child of God and that is who you are. Know the truth. Cling to that truth. Remind yourself of that truth all the time and don't let anyone take that away from you. I've shared with, uh, this with you before, but when I was at some of the worst of my mental health battle, uh, my spiritual mentor who I met with on a regular basis, he was part of my care team, he encouraged me to go out into the wilderness, some time to encounter God. I was scared, I was nervous, I, I took camping gear, my Bible, and my journal, and that was it, and I was going to spend a few days out there, and I struggled, and I struggled hard. After a few days, I went up on top of a mountain, and I sat there, and I cried out to God, and I said, if you, man, if you're a part of this, if you're in this with me, like, I need something, right? We've all done something like that probably many times in the course of our lives, and I didn't hear God's audible voice at that time, um, but I did have these words start going in my head. And, and after they, they kept repeating long enough, I wrote them down and they were, this is my son in whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. This is my son in whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. The words that came after Jesus' baptism. But I had not studied that story recently. I had not memorized that verse before. But it was plain as day. This is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. I took that as a sign that God had spoken to me in that moment. And so I left my mountaintop experience and I was feeling pretty good until I got back to the valley. And in the valley, the lies of the devil started coming back in. That that was just a dream. That really wasn't God. That was just an imagination, something in your head. And, and, and I was struggling again. I was at one of my worst moments in my anxiety. And I called my pastor, my spiritual mentor, and I didn't tell him anything about what happened on the retreat. I just said, I need you to come and pray over me. I'm just in a bad place. And he drove right to my office. He sat down across from me. He grabbed my hands in his and he prayed over me. And his closing words were, Father, please remind Patty that he is your son in whom you love and with whom you are well pleased. I didn't tell him what happened, but those were the words he prayed over me. Never forget who you are. Three, we battle the lies of the devil and his temptations with the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate embodiment of truth as he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So let us cling to Christ, seek and meditate on his teachings, follow in his footsteps, reach out to him first thing in the morning and fall into his arms last thing at night. Again, I'll read to you one of my favorite quotes about mental health and the spiritual journey I've shared before from Steps to Christ by Ellen White. It says this, 
It is Satan's constant effort to keep the attention diverted from the Savior and thus prevent the union and communion of the soul with Christ. The pleasures of the world, life's cares and perplexities and sorrows, the faults of others or your own faults and imperfections, to any or all of these he will seek to divert your mind. Do not be misled by his devices. Commit the keeping of your soul to God and trust in him. Talk and think of Jesus. Let self be lost in him. It's that last line that gets me time and time again. Talk and think of Jesus. Let self be lost in him. Memorize those quotes that speak to your temptations, that guard your heart, that build up your defenses, and that direct your thoughts. And our last takeaway is this. Never walk alone. Jesus was in the wilderness without other human companionship. He changed his tactics in the Garden of Gethsemane by taking the disciples, even though they couldn't stay awake with him. But community is critical in the journey towards good mental health. Yes, we always have Jesus, but he designed us to lean on and depend on each other along life's narrow ways. So friends, take good care of yourself. Never forget that you are a child of God in whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. Talk and think of Jesus and let self be lost in him. And never walk alone. Cling to your community because this is my community. These are my people. And together we hope to create a space where we know that this is one of the safest spaces to ask questions. This is one of the safest places to take risks. And this is one of the safest places to be vulnerable as together we continually seek to love well. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for all that you went through for us, for showing us how to navigate our lives, to take care of our, ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our connection with you, in meaningful and transformative ways, but we recognize that it is not easy. We recognize that it can be an incredible struggle at times to do. And so please help us not only to cling to you, to talk and think of you and let ourselves be lost in you, but to also rely on our community, the community that you are building here in this space. Help us to share with each other what's going on in our lives, to come out of hiding, to stop living in secrets, and to begin the road towards healing. We love you so much. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. Be with us now and every day till that day comes when we get to see your face and then we'll be with you forever. In the precious and holy and powerful name of Jesus, amen.